There are countless worlds spread throughout the dimensional planes where it never rains. On certain warm summer days in New York City, I can't help feeling thankful that Earth isn't one of them. My name is Conrad, along with my co-host Drew, and this is the 45th episode of Stranger by the Dozen, the weekly podcast where we recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, six issues at a time. How's it going this week, Drew? It's going pretty good. All right. Super exciting magical action awaits. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You can find the show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, or any fine podcast app. Uh, you can contact this show at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at strangerbythe12 or on Facebook or Instagram by searching for Stranger by the Dozen, or on our podcast network site at cradline.com. So, um, we last left. We're um, doing a bunch of mystical stuff. Doesn't matter that much. We're going to go start right up with uh, some old friends coming back to visit us on the show, Drew. Uh, in, yeah? Yeah, in the form of Incredible Hulk 370 from June 1990. Oh, hey, I know that guy. Yeah. So, this story is called uh, Strange Matters. Uh, Peter David writes, Dale, Dale Keown pencils, Bob McLeod inks, Joe Rosen letters, Glennis Oliver colors, Bobby Chase edits, Tom DeFalco edits in chief. <laughs> so... We're checking back in on the Hulk. The last time we saw him was in his own comic in like 305 when he was green and mindless and trapped in the crossroad of dimensions, I believe. Yeah, was so, he just like rampaging all over the place? Yeah, so uh, a, a, a lot's changed. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, okay, so now the Hulk, all right? He's gray. He's uh-huh. he's smart when he's the Hulk. It's it's uh, intelligent Hulk. And instead of being turning into the Hulk when he gets angry, he's instead on a sunrise-sunset cycle with Bruce Banner. So he's uh, Banner during the day, and he's the Hulk at night. Okay, so a very uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation here. I feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was when they took like a potion or something like that, as opposed to day and night. I think. Or maybe like a werewolf? I'm going to go with werewolf. Werewolf sounds better. But yeah, yeah, it's a little bit more sort of a weird supernatural thing as opposed to an anger thing. Also, the Hulk is wearing jean shorts now instead of his classic purple sweatpants. Mm, (laughs) Early 90s. Time for jorts. (laughs) Always. So he's currently headed north. So the Hulk is currently headed north. He's trying to find Betty Ross or his his ex-wife, Thunderbolt Ross's daughter, etc. Right. Um, and I want to say, for the record, there's some Doc Samson stuff going on in this comic, but I'm not real. I'm think we're gonna sk- skip it. Basically, um, there's no sure. reason to talk about it. It's not d- doesn't deal with us. It's sort of a long term Hulk plotline. So, gotcha. Um, also, I want to say that uh, the versions of the comics that we're reading this time are full of um, like. Uh, video game ads for the early 90s and it's super yes, nostalgic it's super nostalgic for your old buddy conrad i gotta say that oh, man, it's so good i like haven't heard of abadox in a long time yeah there's abadox there's a lot of uh wrath of the black manta there's bionic commando um just sort of in non-comic book news there's also these like really like super trying hard like dick tracy commercial uh, things that are just like you know they're trying to sort of be a copy of those batman commercials from when batman or ads from when batman the first batman movie came out but it's like dick tracy in his yellow uh raincoat and stuff right 
But yeah, Double Dragon 2 for the NES, all that stuff. It's real, real good. Real, real nostalgic if you're like a late 80s, early 90s video gamer. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's, it's delicious, delicious nostalgia, really. It's true, yeah. So so anyhow, the Hulk is on his way north, but he's got to stop at New York City or else the uh, sun might rise while he's mid-super jump, which would just splatter Bruce Banner across the, uh, ac- across the countryside. He feels himself drawn towards a, super, a, a certain building, and he heads inside... Meanwhile, as he does so on the street, a man in an extremely like like smooth uh, suit, trench coat, fedora combo also follows. Inside the building, Hulk comes face to face with the astral form of Doctor Stephen Strange, fighting a pair of giant black evil hands coming out of a magical door. Hulk's like, you know, what's up, bro? Which <laughs> distracts Strange enough for Strange to be pulled into the door by the hands. The Incredible Hulk gives chase and enters a black and white, like, negative world, like, you know, where the usual black lines are white and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Hulk manages to grab Strange and starts to pull him out of this universe when the evil hand grabs him again and tries to pull him back. Only the timely intervention of the guy in the suit enables them to escape, and blaga, it's Namor. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, so, <laughs> Strange is... This feels like an impromptu uh, reunion here. Yeah, and as we all know, of course, the Defenders aren't supposed to be able to have a reunion because the elves with the guns told them that they would uh, cause the end of uh, humanity if they did. That's Any- problematic. <laughs> it's true. Anyhow, uh, Strange's astral form disappears as Namor and the Hulk reflect on uh, Strange coming back to life, like, you know, he's been dead recently, and how the two of them have also been dead for a while in the past. The uh, the Hulk talks about the evil hands, and then shudders and turns back into Bruce Banner, who is looking super cut, just because of his uh, interactions with the Hulk and how their uh, bond currently works. So... After stealing some clothes from this random apartment, Namor grabs Banner, and they make their way to the Sanctum Sanctorum. There's a uh, they have a brief superhero style misunderstanding with Rintra, the uh, the uh, the Minotaur. Like Namor thinks Rintra is a monster, Rintra thinks Namor is Spock, and then Doctor Strange shows up, calms everything's down, and hey, the Defenders are back together. All right. Um, uh, that still seems problematic. <laughs> Indeed. Um, as they talk about it, they discuss. Like the black dimension that they were that they went into, Banner says it sounds like a theory that was going on when he was in like a met in a physics college or whatever. You know, when he was getting his doctorate, I guess. <laughs> that sounds like something called strange matter, which is in- infinitely more dense than our matter and is way more and could be a powerful energy source. But if it was came to our reality, it might just conquer the whole universe or whatever. Huh. So, like, yeah, we better investigate that, I guess. But, hey, before we head out, like, didn't those elves with guns say that if we team up together, it'll cause the end of all, hu- all, all of humanity? And yeah. Doctor Strange said that uh, he looked into that, and he found out that it was a cosmic ho- hoax, and he just decided not to tell anybody, because he wanted the peace and quiet, I guess, even when he was, like, fighting for the future of reality, and has a couple super strong dudes, which actually might have been useful, but whatever. <laughs> That seems like a jerk thing to do. Just yeah, it's not a, it's not a it's not, not a cool thing to do, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so 
Doctor Strange decides to send uh, uh, Bruce Banner, like, sort of, you know, into his own mind to convince the Hulk to help them out with the evil door, evil hand situation. Banner and the Hulk get in a big verbal fight in your sort of standard Steve Ditko mind space, mostly about, like, the Hulk wants to go see Betty right away, and Banner's reluctant to, and they sort of argue about the reasonings for that. Um... As they do this, they suddenly notice a giant golden barred door in the middle of the dreamscape. And they're like, both like, what's the deal with that? Like, let's open, like, Banner wants to open and find out. Hulk won't do it. Banner tries to goad the Hulk into doing so, but suddenly there's an evil voice appears. And then, oh, geez, a pair of evil, of those like giant evil black hands come flying out of Bruce Banner's butt. He's got butt hands. <laughs> butt oh hands. no! <laughs> they uh, they grab Banner in real life and the Hulk in the brain dimension, and then in the real world, suddenly there's a giant black Hulk with scary white eyes and weird word bubbles that stares down at Strange and Namor. He is a being of strange matter, and he's here to rule the universe. That seems like a problem. Hey, man, I don't want no strange matter taking over reality. We got enough problems with, like, regular matter and dark matter and family matters, man. Oh, right. Early 90s. (laughs) That's right. Right. It's a timely reference. (laughs) So let's go to uh, let's go to Incredible Hulk 371, which is from July 1990. This story is called Strange But True. It's written by Peter David, pencils by Dale Dale Cowan. Um, inks by Bob McCloud, lettering by Joe Rosen, coloring by Glenn Oliver, conjurings by Bobby Chase, and real big conjurings by Tom DeFalco. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, some tourists are taking pictures out in front of the Sanctum Sanctorum when a huge black hand of the Dark Hulk bursts through the walls and the beast escapes into the city. I'm calling him the Dark Hulk because that's what the cover of this issue calls him. He doesn't actually introduce himself as that, Drew. I'm just, well, yeah, I mean, just go by what the cover calls it, really. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so Dark Hulk is loose in the city, and uh, Strange, after fixing the wall, after magically fixing the walls of the Sanctum, rounds up Namor and Rintra, and it's time for a good old-fashioned Hulk hunt. Sweet. Um, so, so the Dark Hulk is waiting for nighttime when his powers will be at its height, and he feels a little voice inside of its head. It's the spirit of Banner in the mental realm. He sort of confronts Ban- He sort of confronts him in the mental realm. They kind of you know tussle around a bit, but in the end, it's still sort of Bruce Banner versus the Hulk. So the fight goes pretty poorly for uh, for Bruce. The Dark Hulk explains that the Strange Matter Universe theory is correct, and that the Dark Hulk is the Sorcerer Supreme of that Strange Matter Universe. Um, as he's explained this, he starts to flinch as his physical form is under attack, so he summons a magical cage for Banner in the mental realm, and pops out to defend himself in, real, in the real world. Um... It's basically time for another Namor-Hulk fist fight, which I, I think we, we can all always appreciate... Absolutely. As they sort of exchange fisticuffs in the mental in the mental realm, Banner tries to escape his cage, and then the two defenders just start kicking the crap out of each other in real life. They find themselves in Washington Square Park, where they start breaking out like the environmental attacks, which is always key in a fight like this. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, like, playground equipment. It is a valid weapon at all times. Like the yeah, the Hulk basically grabs a jungle, rips a jungle gym out out of the ground, and then just starts ripping pieces off of it and throwing it at at Namor. Many of those pieces missing and then hitting a ton of bystanders and stuff. And then like leg is going to be messed up for just the rest of his life. I mean, well, we'll see. Um, <laughs> and then like Namor hits the Hulk and it takes down this big arch in the park. It's all like pretty awesome in terms of just blowing up urban um, areas. <laughs> um, Doctor Strange hits the Dark Hulk with his crimson bands of Sidorak, which seems to trap him. But man, the Dark Hulk has too much power to be contained that way. So they start a uh, a magical showdown as in the mental realm banner now free starts trying to do something and Namor has to jump um and Namor jumps in a broken fire hydrant to refresh his ultra water power. So now sort of Dark Hulk has a fight on two fronts. He's got to stop Banner from doing weird stuff in the mental realm and he's got to fight Strange and Namor. So he runs off. Doctor Strange heals the people hurt in the fighting and then flies off with Namor. But he's also implanted a mental suggestion in the Darkhold's mind to follow them. The, uh, the fight continues. In the mental realm, Banner unbars that big door we saw last issue as uh, the Dark Hulk enters the sanctum. But basically via being punched through the door by Rintra, and now things get get kind of confusing as <laughs> as um the Dark Hulk finds a big crazy swirly thing that Doctor Strange has made, and in the mental realm Dark Hulk sees something truly terrifying and um you know, frees you in place just holding up your hiding hand saying, No, make it stop in the mental realm. It's inside the door that Bruce Banner opened. So, Doctor Strange manages to, uh... So the strange matter is sucked into Doctor Strange's swirly thing, and the now-freed Hulk works with Banner to slam the mental door shut in the mental realm. Presumably this will be resolved in future Incredible Hulk issues. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Yeah, so, whatever. Um, With the day saved, we cut to basically the... So, sorry, so the... Strange Matters sol- is uh, solved. All the bad guys have been defeated. And I guess it pretty much everybody's uh, parts as friends and realizes that, hey, we can do Defenders team ups again, should the situation require. Um, yeah, and the universe won't explode. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> with the day saved, we cut to the next day with Banner putting on a set of full jeans as <laughs> Doctor Strange gives him the, fo- the 411 on Betty. He's got her address and tells her that. Uh, while she was pregnant the last time Banner saw her, she has had a miscarriage, which is obviously a super bummer. Uh, Banner decides to go see her anyway and is shocked to find out that she's a nun now. Whoa. What? And that's where we'll leave uh, the Incredible Hulk for this uh, episode, Drew. <laughs> All right. Or so it seems until we go to our next comic, Marvel Comics Presents 61 from October 1990, which on its cover has a pretty awesome uh, image of the ultimate uh, Marvel thing of Wolverine fighting uh, the Incredible Hulk. (laughs) So I think we've talked about this before, you know, Marvel Comics Presents is an anthology comic. It tells about four stories per issue. They're usually all non-related, and they star characters from all over the Marvel Universe. Sometimes there's one-shots. Sometimes there's sort of big multi-part stories. 
This month's issue includes the end of a Wolverine Hulk story, a story based on the character Poison, and a story about the Scarlet Witch as a pirate, I guess. Okay. But there's also a Doctor Strange story. This one's kind of a quick one. (laughs) Um, At a library... Stephen Strange bumps into a librarian named Marjorie, who he used to date back when he was in medical school. They haven't seen each other in many years, and neither has aged a day. Although Strange soon sees that, or Strange sees that Marjorie has been dyeing her hair gray. Huh. Marjorie explains that she never ages or changes at all. She like heals really quickly. No matter what she eats, she never gains or loses weight. If she exercises, she never gains any muscle or anything like that. She's in complete homeostasis and maybe immortal. Huh. She, like, explains that she's tried to kill herself a couple ways. And Doctor Strange is like, geez, like, you don't have to get morbid about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, he reveals himself as Sorcerer Supreme and offers to help. He creates a crystal ball out of a soap bubble and has it show her answers to her condition. And they find themselves warped to a strange future Earth where a giant planet Jupiter takes up half the sky. Oh, dang. And they're confronted by a pair of hostile hooded figures. One of them reveals themselves to be Marjorie. Whoa. What? That's she, crazy. Yeah, she explains that this is the far future, and she's sort of been immortal living through it all. In the course of the future, humanity forgot how to fight and wage vi- and do violence and stuff. But um, then a huge alien threat came, and only because she's this super immortal librarian was humanity able to remobilize and um, build a war fleet to be able to uh, defend themselves from this ultimate evil. Um... So, they get attacked by aliens. Doctor Strange buys Marjorie time to send the launch order to the forces of mankind to save the future. Hooray! And basically, as they sort of fade back to the present, future Marjorie asks Strange to help her out because the first hundred years of immortality are always the hardest, as the old saying goes. Oh, yeah. No. That's like common knowledge, man. Indeed. So, go forth, librarian lady. You will someday save the future. Um, and then, because she's just a librarian, I guess, she's sort of, dis- you know, and her main powers are just being immortal, basically. She basically disappears from the Marvel timeline after this. Although, That's about right. she will show up in this series, uh, Wolverine, the best there is, in 2011 for a couple issues. Alright. Yeah, you know, just another, this was sort of like the, uh, like that one, one, uh, last week with as, um, a, Azazel's touch, I guess, would sort of just a just a potential plot line if anybody wants, you know, if you write a Doctor Strange story and you want to pick things up, hey, he's got this immortal girlfriend out there somewhere, you know, who knows how that could help, you know, be a thing in future comics, whatever. <laughs> but enough of this side stuff, Drew. You're here for yeah. uh, for mainline Doctor Strange stories. I can I can see it in your eye. So- I'm absolutely ready. <laughs> Let's go to Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme 20 from August 1990. This one's called Better Homes and Gargoyles. <laughs> Written by uh, Roy and Dan Thomas, Jackson Grease Penciler, 
Tony DeZuniga, Inker, Chris Elipolis, letterer, Richard Raish, colorist, Ralph Macchio, editor, Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. So, okay. Better homes and gargoyles. Ugh. That's good, Ugh. buddy. You, you like it, I can tell. Um, so, <laughs> this, you can tell from the disdain in my voice. Absolutely. So this issue starts with a heated argument between Stephen and Victor Strange, though it's quickly shown to be a heated pool argument, which is far less serious. Uh, St- Steve, Vic, M- Morgana Blessing, and Rintra are all chilling poolside as Mobius looks on. <laughs> Victor wants Stephen to recite the Montesi formula again, which will destroy all vampires, including himself. Stephen is reluctant, and Morgana is there to be drawn weirdly, I guess. Um. Uh, no, no, do it. You know, put like give vampires what's coming to them. Just do it. Do it. Hey. Well, that's the thing. So uh, as the argument continues, Victor turns into a bat and flies to the library to get the Darkhold. Morbius stops him and the process knocks over a jar of some kind and a tiny weird creature comes out of the jar. And while a, uh, a sexy bathing suit clad Ime sees it, it apparently uses magic powers to make her forget. <laughs> Anyhow, just for grins, Stephen checks the Darkhold for the Montesi formula and finds it blank. Oh no! Yeah, apparently the ritual to destroy the vampiric verses from the Book of the Vishanti also removed its like sister thing, its sister spell, the Montesi formula, from the Darkhold. So, so anyhow, vampires aren't going to get what's coming to them. I mean, they got what what was coming to them once. There's like a global wipeout of all vampires. Now they got to rebuild from the ground again? up. Why not again? Man, you can't just expect like some one spell to just save you every time, buddy. You know, Ugh. it's like it's like it's like the Dragon Balls. You know, you can't wish for the same thing twice because otherwise you just do that all the time. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> uh, Vix. After finding this out, Vic says he's heading out for a while, and Morgana comes with him, and we sort of learn that they've decided to settle into, like, a, a blood-sucker, blood-bag kind of relationship, I guess. Like, uh-huh. she's gonna provide the blood, and she and he's gonna do whatever, and she says the classic, like, uh, I can stop anytime I want, like, I know what I'm getting into thing, which is basically comic book shorthand for, I am an addict, I am in trouble, please help me. <laughs> But yeah, that sounds about right. Usually not for a couple issues. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, be a confrontation eventually. Eventually, yeah, you know. So, um, anyhow, let's clean up all. Let, let's clean up this mess that just happened from the dark hold and stuff. Uh, you know, we got to cl- like these vase shards and got to pick those up and buy the hoary host of Ogoth. <laughs> this. Oh, it's, my favorite pause. It's not the a monsters. it's not a vase, Drew. It's the amphora that forms the prison of Zom. No, no, you're right. It's not a vase. It's a vase. It's an amphora. <laughs> 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 and Drew, you'll remember uh, Zom, maybe as um he was this giant four-locked like magical monster that Doctor Strange summoned to scare off Umar, which then brought down the wrath of the Living Tribunal way back in like episode four and five of this podcast. Like I don't even know if if if, if I had co-hosts on this show at that at this point <laughs> at that point. Was I? Huh? I forget. Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> but it was. This is like in 1967, basically. <laughs> in oh, terms years of, ago. In terms of. Oh, this is like this is like launch, um, Doctor Strange stuff, or like no, well, not launch because it's sort of after. 
This is right right when like Doctor Strange left, um, or when Steve Ditko Ditko left Doctor Strange, and they had this big period that was all that was um, just one big like event like a uh, series of things, and sort of started with Kalu, and then Umar showed up, and then Zom showed up, and then the Living Tribunal showed up, and it was just one thing after another. Ah, classic stuff. Yeah, but anyhow. <laughs> After all of that, Strange reformed the Amphora that held Zom, and apparently it retained enough of Zom's evil essence to reform the monster. Just itty bitty. Yeah, at least as a as a tiny Zom ba- as a t- tiny Zom baby or a Zomling. <laughs> but or how about it's, a, a Zombit? Oh damn! Possible. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Anyhow, it's time to it, it's it, it's time to search the house for the Zom thing, but that's tough because, of course, the Sanctum Sanctorum is this crazy magic house. So who knows who the monster could be? Uh, it might take a couple of weeks. You have to put up like some Zom traps or something. Maybe some Zom bait. Who knows? <laughs> Zom bait. I can't believe <laughs> I can't believe you give me a hard time. <laughs> Anyhow, the answer is that Zom's obviously trying to eat the caged Baron Mordo. Obviously, <laughs> um. I mean, like, what else do you do when you're a teeny tiny zom? Rattling his pink magical uh, cage bars and stuff like that. Um, in the in these pictures of uh, Mordo here, he's looking more and more like Greg Universe with like long hair and a big beard and stuff like that. <laughs> like, not nearly as jolly, though. Well, obviously not as jolly and probably with uh, the tan lines that make sense. But... Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, he's trying to absorb some of the magic from the bars of Mordo's prison. Rintra gives chase and finds Baby Zom, now more like angry teenage Zom, getting fat by eating a colony of fairies that was living in a back closet of the Sanctum Sanctorum. Next thing you know, he's going to be solemnly playing video games in his room. And <laughs> nah, this is surly about it. Now nah, he, he he's less like 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 Groot as a teenager, and more like um like X twenty three as a teenager, where he's just sort of killing people for no reason. You got to like kind of you know lock him away somewhere. <laughs> it's movie references, you guys. We're Woo! making references to movies. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> sudden anyhow um. Yeah, so things look bad as an ever-growing Zom attacks Rintra, but suddenly Doctor Strange appears with a mighty implement that sucks up Zom, imprisoning him deep inside the inside of a vacuum cleaner. Womp womp. <laughs> it looks like as Zom ran around absorbing magical energy, he also absorbed a lot of like dust and other stuff around the... Uh, Around the sanctum, just turning into like a big magical Katamari ball, basically. And so the vacuum cleaner was able to pick up enough of that dust and stuff to, and not be affected by Zom's magical absorbing abilities to trap him. So it's a magic vacuum cleaner, then? No, it's a mundane vacuum cleaner. That's the only reason it had enough, it was able to trap him. (laughs) But it becomes magic because it it now contains a uh, magical being, I suppose. Okay. That's how it goes sometimes. Sure. Uh, Doctor Strange reforms the Amphora and then uses the reverse function on the vacuum to toss Zom back in there and resolves to place the Amphora in a slightly less well-trafficked area of the Sanctum Sanctorum. Oh, but where is he going to, you know, display it? It's a you good know, point. Be, 
have to be have to be a conversation piece somewhere. That's a really unfortunate. It really brought that room together. Listen, how are you going to have your magical cocktail party go off without a hitch if you can't have a uh, a vase containing some sort of world destroying, uh, universe condemning demon? <laughs> exactly, you're losing that conversation piece That's in really, the middle of your you know, living room. You know, really bringing that whole room together. It's true. It's true. Well, you just got to. Yeah, steal another one from the big doctor from the big Doctor Strange, I guess. Um, <laughs> movie references again. So, <laughs> so let's finish up this one with the Book of the Vishanti, the Mark of the Vodou, Part Three. Uh, Roy Roy Thomas and RJM Lost for writers, Jeff Isherwood artist, Brad Kai Joyce letterer, Paul Becton colorist. So this is just the final series of uh, the final part of a history of voodoo in the Marvel Universe. This time it's basically the story of the gods of the Loa empowering the first brother voodoo to take down an evil pirate that's been using voodoo to create a zombie army to conquer Haiti and then sort of leading to a just a bloodline of brother voodoo's passed down through the ages. Listen, this thing's got pirates controlling zombies. It sounds cool. It's not quite as exciting as it sounds. (laughs) All right. Yeah, absolutely. So, let's go to Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme 21. Uh-oh. From September 1990. Uh-oh. Story. Yeah, Drew's looking at, at the cover where we see a, uh, a, 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 a tired-looking Clea and Doctor Strange in the hands of Dormammu. Uh-oh. So, this story is called Mindless in Manhattan. Roy and Dan Thomas writers, Jackson Guise penciler, Tony DeZuniga and Mark McKenna inkers, Pat Brousseau letterer, uh, Richard Rage colorist, Ralph Macchio editor, Tom DeFalco editor in chief. So, okay. Would it be more like the mindless take Manhattan, or is it too early to make a Muppets reference? I mean, it's this is way past the Muppets take Manhattan. I feel like this is a reference to something else for Mindless in Manhattan. Like, Mm. it could be, honestly, like a Sleepless in Seattle reference. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. All right, anyway. No, that's 90. Okay, that, no, it's, 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 it's not that. It's something else, though. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Who can, who can tell with the, with the, with the uh, arcane and pun-based mind of Roy Thomas for these uh, issue titles, you know? His poor, poor pun-addled mind. It's true. So yeah. this is so, like we said from the cover, they're they're calling this part one of the Dark Wars storyline. Uh, Doctor Strange and his assistant Sarah Wolf are on their way to the Stephen Strange Memorial Metaphysical Institute to see a hot new ESP prospect. When a bunch of mindless ones come through a gateway into the middle of Ma- of Manhattan. Ah, oh, jeez. So, you'll remember the Mindless Ones, Drew, right? They're these rock dudes from the dark dimension that, like, Dormammu and Clea and Umar all come from. They got, uh... They got, like, Cyclops-style eye beams, I want to say. <laughs> like, solo, solo red line in their heads that shoots a beam. And they're super strong and really hard to defeat, basically. Yeah, and they just kind of mindlessly run around and wreck things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so um... At the Institute, the ESP guy turns out to be a bust, and Strange has to spring into action to try to keep the Mindless Ones from just, you know, destroying everything ever, basically. 
like they would do. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Doctor Strange flies out to fight them, and Sarah goes to the Sanctum to tell the gang what's going on. Rintra runs off to help, and things get awkward as uh, Sarah finds Wong tending to Mordo. Uh, Wong heads out to help Doctor Strange as well, and in his cage, put there because he tried to take over the world after selling his soul to two different demons at the same time, is generally being like just a cackling evil wizard. Mordo asks Sarah to set him free so he can help the mindless one too. Sarah seems conflicted about whether or not to do this. Don't do it, Sarah. It's uh, he's obviously evil, like super yeah, duperly yeah. evil. <laughs> Like, clearly evil. Just don't do it. Don't do it. There's not even, like, a gray area about Baron Mordo. Like, I mean, he sacrificed his mother and grandfather to dark gods for power. Like... He he sold somebody's soul that wasn't his own. I mean, come on. Don't do it. He got in a fight about Dracula for the... To, uh... For the lives of of the female virgins in his Transylvanian home because he wanted to sacrifice them. He didn't want Dracula to drink their blood because he wanted to kill them himself. That happened. I, I feel like this is pretty clear cut. I don't understand what the, all the ambiguity about it. Mm-hmm. So Doctor Strange manages to corral the mindless ones and send them home. Like it's, it's a lot of magic action that's kind of hard to recap, just because it's a lot of just sort of like basic action, like sort of action scenes and guys getting thrown away, and then Strange like. Um, musing to himself about different like me- like the metaphysical nature of dimensions in the Marvel Universe and stuff. He sends them home, but it takes a lot out of him, and unlike a lot of other Doctor Strange fights, this one is actually very public. Like it just happens in like the middle of like Times Square or something like that. Like news cameras come down and start trying to talk to him and stuff. Luckily Rintra arrives and while he wasn't able to help them the fight, he does like shape change into Doctor Strange and distract the newsies to let uh the actual Doctor Strange escape. Huh. Uh back at the Sanctum, Strange is worried about Clea, because like obviously If the mindless know, ones are out running around, then yeah, what's going on in the dark dimension? It can't be good, right? So yeah. he Tries to look her up on the orb of Agamotto, but gets like a fuzzy image in return. So he decides to head to the Dark Dimension to check her out. Or to check up on her, I guess. He finds her semi-comatose. She doesn't even respond to his awesome Desi Arnaz impression. It's like, Lucy, I'm home. And she... and. He doesn't seem to notice, but I definitely notice that her head is not aflame with the flames of Regency. It is definitely not on fire. Yeah. So, he tries to go to her, but is suddenly struck by a magical bolt. Who threw that bolt, Drew? Uh, is, is it, um, uh, hang on. Hang on, I got this. Don't, don't, don't tell me. I got this. Hang on. Hang on. Is it, uh... It's Dormammu! Oh, man, I told you not to tell me! (laughs) He's back! Oh, no! Um, well, sort of... Spoilers! God! (laughs) It's not spoilers if this is the actual thing we're talking about, dude. <laughs> Come on. Um, <laughs> at the end of this comic, there's a new section of the Book of the Vishanti, which is uh, Legends and Lore of the Dark Dimension Part 1. Uh, Roy Thomas and RGM Lossifer writers, Lee Weeks, Penciler, Doug Hazelwood Inker, um, pa- uh, Patrick Brousseau, letterer, huge assy colorist. So 
this one is kind of an interesting one because it's just a big old grand unified theory of the Marvel Universe, which is, uh, whoa boy, it's complicated. <laughs> but basically... No kidding. Basically, it seeks to unify everything in, or sort of give classify and move around everything in the Marvel Universe from the stuff like Eternity to Galactus, the Celestials, put in the Watcher, demons, gods, and goddesses like Thor or um, Hercules or something, as well as like weird side guys like uh, Taboro or Nightmare, fit in the dark dimension and stuff. It's like, I don't know, it, I, I guess it does an okay job of just showing this like huge hierarchy of different, uh, like, all-powerful beings, basically. Like, they're all all-powerful in different levels and stuff. But it's also very just like, you know, <laughs> like, it's super nerdy also. Like, this is the kind of thing that you get in, like, a deep Wikipedia dive. <laughs> of, like, oh, yeah. yeah someone yeah. trying to explain something on some forum someplace or something. So it's kind of interesting to see it be written um, in an actual comic book, I guess. Yeah, because there's, like, not a whole lot of well, actually, so I can appreciate it. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's definitely, like... It's like, hey, like, I, you know, I'm Roy Thomas. I've been working in these Marvel... I've been making these Marvel guys for, like, 30 years or something. Let's try to, like, actually put it all together and see if we can't make a cosmology out of it, basically. <laughs> um, Are we sure? Yeah. yeah. But so now we go in-depth in the history of the actual Dark Dimension... It's a little different than the sort of abbreviated version that we got in um, in the Peter Gillis stuff when we had that when Aclea took over the Dark Dimension, basically. But here's the idea: is just that the Dark Dimension, it's a world, it's uh, it's a magic world filled with a group of magic users who eventually become sort of a magic user cast called the uh, Maruks. and eventually there was a there came to be a ruler over those Maruks, like sort of the, the head of the whole dimension, who was sort of a, a, a line of a dynasty, and the last member of that dynasty was this guy named o, um, Olinar. Um, all, everything was, you know, everything was going okay until suddenly two strangers showed up asking for sanctuary, Umar and Dormammu. And that's like the big cliffhanger. Like, oh, I know those names. That's not going to be good for this magical kingdom. <laughs> I think I have a feeling I know how things turned out. Mm. So, indeed. So, with yeah. those du- with those double cliffhangers of um, Dormammu showing up back in the Dark Dimension and in the past, du- Umar and Dormammu showing up in uh, the Dark Dimension as well, <laughs> let's go to uh, Doctor Strange. No, wait. Uh, Baron Mordo is the new Sorcerer Supreme, number 22. <laughs> okay, so we're uh, this is now Mordo by the Dozen. Uh, for every week, we cover six issues of Baron Mordo. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> that, 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 that'd be a real fast show. <laughs> uh, it's from October 1990. And the story's called Dormammu. Sorry, but so on, on the cover, we see Dormammu's free, and he's written uh, Baron Mordo is the new Sorcerer Supreme over Doctor Strange. He says, Baron Mordo is the new Sorcerer Supreme, but for how long? Answer, says Mordo, long enough. <laughs> So, stories called Dormammu Ascendant, Roy and Dan Thomas writers, Jackson Grease Penciler, Tony DeZuniga Inger, Pat Brousseau, Letterer, Renee Witterstater, Colorist, Ralph Macchio, Editor, Tom DeFalco, Editor-in-Chief. So, okay. Uh, Dormammu's back. 
He opens up by calling Clea a cow, which is not cool and weird because how does Dormammu know what a cow is? Yeah, and also that's really messed up, man. Yeah, later, I, I think recently super, uh, super villains have gotten actually like in like, uh, have been think pieces written about them for, for doing something like that. But um, basically, Dormammu explains after being destroyed back in episode 40 of this podcast, um, he spent a bunch of time laying low and reforming his power until finally he was powerful enough to open up a, a, a hole in the dimensions to return uh, back to the dark dimension, which of course accidentally left some let some mindless ones into our world, and then go to like the fires of Mount Doom, basically to form a more powerful physical body, and then rip the flames of Regency away from Clea, leaving her also sort of yeah messed up, definitely yeah. yeah, and that sort of left her comatose and magically weakened. And his, and his uh, for the record, he does have uh, Dormammu has a way like bigger like buff body uh, now than he has has previously. <laughs> so Dormammu goes into full gl- uh, gloat mode. He uh, he f- he wakes up Clea and then freezes her and Strange in place, and then actually summons the body of Umar along with uh, her consort. U- Orini from the uh, the Green Gem Prison, where Clea had uh, had ditched them way back in the Roger Stern days. Uh huh. He actually frees Umar and offers her a chance to join him, which he takes right away. And then he threat he sentences Strange and Clea to eternal punishment. Um, Umar kind of says a thing where she like she only knew Clea was her daughter. Like the in the moments before Clea took over the dark dimension, but that's like definitely not true based on just previous events and how we've seen things play out. Right. Anyhow, yeah, Dormammu imprisons Clea and in and Strange in the same green gem uh, capsules that Umar that Umar was in, but not before <laughs> casting the exorcism of transferal on them, which is a pretty pretty awesome spell. Whoa! <laughs> basically causes. It causes, like, um, a gross, like, Clea monster to start trying to come, like, claw its way out of Doctor Strange's mouth, and vice versa. So there's a Doctor Strange trying to claw its way out of uh, Clea's mouth. And, oh, it's just real gross. Whoa, that is freaky looking. It's like their mouths open real wide, and, like, their own faces, and, like, the opposite one's face is in the other one's mouth, and there's, like, another one in their other mouth and stuff, and, whoa, it's just weird. Whoa. (laughs) Anyhow... Sentenced to that, they're tossed in the green in, in the green magic capsule things, and you know, banished to another world, whatever. However, luckily, Dormammu has forgotten to take Stephen's amulet, so there's a chance that uh, Clea, who's now in control of Strange's body, could use it to free them from these uh, capsule things. But apparently, and this is a part that I'm not really a fan of, Drew. Uh huh. Losing the flames of Regency and this exorcism thing has weakened Clea greatly, so she's gone basically from even just a couple episodes ago, basically being Doctor Strange's equal to being almost completely powerless. Uh, Which I'm uh, not. Yeah, that's kind of bad. I think. Um, 
but she does eventually manage to open the eye of the amulet after a lot of effort and presumably, hopefully, sort of free uh, Clea and Strange somewhere in the netherworld. We don't really see what happens. They just kind of, like, there's a big explosion and that's it. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, (laughs) you know... Umar and uh, Dormammu, they're hanging out, and Umar, of course, immediately betrays Dormammu. <laughs> like, this surprises me. Hey, how you doing, Dormammu? Thanks for letting me out. Ah, betrayal! Ah, <laughs> uh, curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Of, I mean, it was like, like instant betrayal. <laughs> and of, <laughs> of course, Dormammu, in this case, was ready for her, and this time he says he completely destroys her, like, taking her completely, erasing her completely from existence. Which, like, is a rough answer, but also, you know, like, could you wait, like, five minutes before you betray me? Jeez, you know? You gotta have patience sometimes. <laughs> and nothing's sacred anymore, you know? I swear. Yeah. Uh, speaking of nothing being sacred, back on Earth, Wong is doing laundry, and uh, the, Orb- the Orb of Agamotto is freaking out. So there's only one thing Sarah Wolf feels like she can do, and that's free Baron Mordo. Oh man! Don't no. He says he'll help Strange and whatever, but no, not won't. not unlike Umar, Mordo immediately betrays Sarah, locking her up in his former prison, and then he just sort of starts preparing to uh, conquer Earth. Basically, <laughs> uh. he says he says with Strange gone, who could even hope to challenge me? But as he says that, a uh, giant hole opens up in the sky and some kind of weird tentacle monster thing starts emerging from it. So, next episode, Baron Mordo, Defender of the Earth! <laughs> and there's one last thing, there's just the uh, this Book of the Vishanti, Legends and Lore of the Dark Dimension, Part 2. Uh, Roy Thomas and RJM Lossifer, writers, Lee Weeks artist, Gene Semek letterer, Nell Yamtov colorist, and it's um, this time we actually get some explanation for what like the Faltine are, which are what um, Umar and and Dormammu actually are, like their bodies, basically, like like like, like what their race is. So right. Basically, the Faltine are um, these big fiery amoebas with like pumpkin heads, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> um, they fly through they're, they're beings of pure energy they fly through a dimension of energy consuming different energies and all that stuff they can sort of make like copies of themselves like exact copies of themselves to live on so it's very sort of an amoeba like um, existence until one foul time Cinefer reproduced and created copies that were different from him oh it's a scandal and mm. Those two copies were uh, Dormammu and Umar, naturally. Right. Unlike the other Faltine, they didn't care about consuming energy, and they wanted to consume matter. Gross! Ew, (laughs) matter. Ew. However, consuming matter allowed them to get powerful really quickly, even enough to allow them to uh, destroy their progenitor, uh, Cinefer, which got them kicked out of the Faltine dimension. They escaped to the dark dimension, which was full, which was just full of tasty matter, and they took physical forms to start conning Olinar, the ruler of that realm. They convinced that him to accept their help in conquering a nearby dimension, which would have been cool if that dimension hadn't been full of mindless ones. Mm. The resulting war to. Uh, 
staved the mindless ones off, killed many, killed Olinar and many of the uh, Maruks, the uh, the magic cast of the Dark Dimension, and allowed Dormammu and Umar to take control of the Dark Dimension after locking the mindless ones away. As ruler, uh, Dormammu reverted to his true Faltinian form, which is what we see with the, uh, like like his fiery head and stuff. And then began to conquer the multiverse more, a bit more diplomatically, sort of, you know, taking tributes and forming alliances and stuff. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Umar seduced the son of Olinar, Orini, and eventually gave birth to Clea, which seems to have trapped her in her physical form, so she can't become a, uh, a Faltinian like Dormammu is because she gave birth to Clea. Right. Because of this, this seems to have sort of unhinged unhinged her mind, which caused her to attack Dormammu and thus become banished. Afterwards, Dormammu decided it's time to do a little bit more conquering, and he turned his eyes towards Earth, which was then defended by a young sorcerer supreme who would come to be known as the Ancient One, which we'll see more of next week. The young ancient one, got it. Well, no, not the this, young young ancient one. No, no, still this is kind of youngish. Yeah, this guy's older than the young than the young ancient one from the current comics. This is like the middle aged ancient one. I don't know. After he decided to shave his head, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, the comics for this week, Drew. All right. I thought the, like the, these were decent offerings. I thought um, it's always fun to see the original defenders back. You know, just sort of hanging out. Hulk and Namor punching each other. Doctor Strange sort of figuring things out and you know giving big big uh, Star Trek style explanations that that maybe don't make a ton of sense but are still pretty fun. Um, I did kind of miss uh, Silver Server not being around to to mope to mope things up a bit. It's true, but man, like the the extent to which the Silver Surfer was a member of the Defenders really gets overestimated. I think. Like, oh and, yeah, he kind of like he would take offense to something, then run off and mope somewhere. That's what he did. That's true. That's okay. Fair. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, I don't know. I I always kind of like intrigue on the dark dimension. I think, um, you know, whenever Dormammu shows up and just cackles about how great he is, it's sort of like I'm, you know, I I I, I think it's fun. And then Mordo being tossed in the mix seems like it's an interesting I, I, idea as well. It's been a while since we've had a Dormammu like a a story with Mordo and Dormammu and Doctor Strange all together um, at once. You know. Anyhow, <laughs> if you'd like to contact the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on Facebook, Instagram, or uh, Twitter. Look On Twitter, we're at strangerbythe12 or on our podcast network site at Um You can find Stranger by the Dozen on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or any podcast app. Tune in next week as the war for the Dark Dimension heats up, as do Doctor Strange's phone lines. Then we'll experience a nightmare not that far from Elm Street, hang out with a red wolf, and meet up with some old friends and very old enemies, like Episode 1 old enemies. Ooh. Yeah, well, we're also getting very close to the Infinity Gauntlet, Drew, which I'm super excited about, but more on that later. Seems to be fairly relevant, you know, in the coming days. Oh, even more movie references! Hey! (laughs) Until then, faithful listener, I say, uh, Then came the reign of the Wizard King Olinar. 
who dreamed of, resur- of the resurrection of what he perceived to be the ancient glories, but which the other Maruks wisely saw as days of chaos and misery. The golden age ended when two strangers came before Olnar's azure throne, asking for and receiving sanctuary. Their names were Umar and Dormammu. My name is Conrad for my co-host Drew. May the Vishanti guide your path.